Well, hello and welcome to episode 202 of The Cool Room, uh, an excellent opportunity to have a big conversation today with two fantastic guests joining Warren Wu and myself, David Griffiths, in the Thursday night Zoom room to talk about the Australian brewing industry and where it finds itself in 2023. Uh, we once again have Mick Hulse from Hypocrisy uh, joining us and Andrew from Batch. Uh, really looking forward to being able to share this podcast with you. It's the continuation on from episode 201. So if you haven't gone back and listened to that one yet, if you just found this episode really strongly suggest you go back and find it, 201. Uh, and that's where the conversation begins. It's where we introduce the guys in a bit more detail and give a bit more of their background. This episode will make far more sense if you've listened to 201 and, of course, 200 other episodes in the archives over the last five years. Quite amazing to think that we've been around for that long. And that's due to the support of you guys. Support by buying the tasting packs associated with episodes like this one from our Shopify and the support you give with coming along to our live events. And there's a lot of both of those kinds of things coming up in the very near future and hoping that you're going to be able to join us for some of those. Uh, really looking forward to the opportunity to be sharing things like the Williamstown Beer and Cider Festival with you at the end of November. Uh, tickets I saw on their Facebook the other day are selling really fast. So if you want to be part of that, make sure you jump on their website. We're going to have a special space set aside where we're going to be able to talk to a number of the brewers that are going to be out at that festival, uh, a really good opportunity to just grab the beers that you like from those brewers, sit around and hear us interview them and talk about the beers that you're sipping. And we've got three really good online events already lined up as well. Uh, we're going to be kicking off uh, on uh, this Thursday, the 2nd of November, with Avenge Brewing. Should be really good fun talking to them about the broad range of beers that they have. And then Maddock Brewing from Queensland going to be jumping on talking to us about being the champion small brewery of Australia. Uh, and then a bit later on in November, Escape Brewing is going to be joining us on the 23rd, Thursday the 23rd, in the Zoom room. A great opportunity, as you'll hear tonight, to talk to the brewers and hear all about their beers while you sip them in the comfort of your own hammock or beanbag or whatever it is that you choose to sit in at home. So, look, plenty of opportunities there. Jump on the Shopify, as I say. Jump on the Facebooks and you'll never miss out on any of the things that we do. Really looking forward to this conversation as part of 202. Well, here we are. We've been having a ripper night here in the cool room, Zoom room. It's episode 202. Even if nobody here in the Zoom room would have noticed the transition from 201, uh, we've got a stellar lineup still in the room with us. We've lost Ryan. We've still got Mick. We've still got Mr. Warren Wu. We've still got Andrew. But if you're just tuning into this episode, first of all, go back and check out episode 201 for a bit of the context. But Mr. Wu, I reckon we need to reintroduce our... Personae dramatae, as they would say, if they spoke Latin really badly with a North Bendigo accent uh, in the 1600s. Who's here in the room? And let's get ourselves orientated to what's going to be in our glass. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> if you go back and listen to the previous podcast, you'll find out we've got Andrew Finneran in the room. We're, we're <laughs> really lucky. So we originally had batch brewing in episode 50. Um, episode 50. 
151 episodes ago, which was amazing. But we didn't have Andrew on that episode. Um, yeah, who, who was that? Who, was it Chris? It was Tom and Liam, I believe. Oh. Oh. Do they sound like names that bring back memories to you? or you've never oh, seen... No, no. Tom, well, yeah, yeah. We definitely have Tom and Liam. <laughs> uh, well, was it Tom Walker and Liam Pereira? Uh, come on, mate. I reckon I'm doing pretty well to remember Tom and yeah, Liam, to be perfectly honest. Tom and Liam honest. was pretty good <laughs> We were just talking about what lockdown in Melbourne was like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We had a few of the batch beers that night, and, okay. uh, yeah, they were in larger format, if I recall correctly. You are quite, quite uh, correct. Yeah, if it was three or four years ago, yeah, it yeah. probably would have been. yeah. yeah. Um, but tonight we're drinking a tiny little, oh, a tiny, a tidy little 375ml um, Merrickville Original Pale Ale, which is delicious um, and a good little follow-up from the previous ones we've we've had tonight. Uh, Andrew, so there was a little question about whether or not I had drank this beer before. My gut says I have, but David thinks it might be the first time. Can you give us a little history on this beer? Well, yeah, you sort of have and you sort of haven't. So it's kind of like a little bit of column A and column B. (laughs) So uh, our first beer ever was an American pale ale. Um, Very simple malt bill with a bit of back, like uh, uh, sweetness in the backbone uh, just to balance out the hops. But it was a single, single hop, uh, only cascade. And that was it, a, a U.S. cascade. Um, and the recipe uh, never really changed um, for the for a long time, for ten years. And um, it was something that, um, uh, as we opened up with that as our original beer, uh, and we brewed it, and that was our that was kind of our one um, core range beer. And we can talk about how the others ca- kind of came into the core range. Um, so I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but um, that was our our one and as the years have gone on and, and like this kind of Australian pale ale has kind of come out, the American pale ale, in my opinion, um, has become a little, a little too old school. And so I've, I've been, and I'm not a, I don't consider myself a brewer. I mean, I can brew beer, but I've, I don't consider myself a brewer. I've never written a recipe. I'm, I'm not really interested in writing recipes, but, um, we, I, I always felt like it needed a, a change. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had like kind of this internal dialogue for a long time about whether we could, um, improve it with the same ingredients by changing our, um, like our process, mm-hmm. um, dry hopping regime or, um, or in the kettle or, or, or whatever, or, um, malt build and, and all that kind of stuff. And we never really got anywhere with it. And I was, I've kind of, um, you know, I think that the American pale ale where it is now, like the, the other recipe, um, it's mm-hmm. tasting fantastic. It's, it's really great. And I love it, but, um, I still felt like it needed, um, it, we just needed to bring it into the modern day. So really it's the same beer. It's very much, um, um, an American pale ale, uh, base recipe at heart. And if you, if you put the red can of American pale ale up against this Merrickville original, Mm-hmm. Um, the, you'll, you'll notice they're related. They're, they're brothers. Like mm-hmm. you can tell, or they're siblings. Um, it's just that we've changed the hop cocktail, um, in, in this beer. So it gets a little bit more aroma, 
I just don't think Cascade on its own cuts it. So, you know, we use other classic West Coast style hops. Um, don't ask me because I can't remember exactly what they are, but there's the classic kind of. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, all the C's. All the C's, that's right. Some, yeah, some yeah. of the big five. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, we, uh, yeah, and I'm really happy with it. So it's, and we've lowered the ABV a little bit just to make it a little bit more um, sessionable. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a little, we could make it a little bit cheaper. So, when we restructure into 16 packs, hopefully we'll be able to get some case sales out of it. It's not too expensive. Um, so yeah, you've, you've had, you kind of have had it before. It's just an updated recipe. Now we called it, um, Merrickville original because as we rebranded, um, I wanted to kind of give some personality to, you know, what, uh, you know, the reinventing of our flagship beer. And, um, you know, we were the first brewery in Merrickville, um, and it's our original beer, even though there is, it is there is a recipe change. So we we decided just to say, let's, fuck it, let's just call it Americville Original. And um, okay. uh, I, I I'm really glad we did because I think it's it, it puts a nice little stamp um, on our on our claim in Americville, I think, and um, uh, it gives us a, a a bit of a nod to our history. Um, and I think the can I think it looks great. So I'm I'm really hoping that um people get into it this summer. It's only been out in for just over a month now, so. Now, I'm going to take that opportunity to jump in, even as I see Mr. Warren Wu taking a big intake of breath there. But, uh, look, obviously, one of the things we've got you on tonight to do is to talk about the rebrand and why that's something you want to do. Mm -hmm. But I want to do a traditional Mr. Warren Wu. Let's go back to the question we should have started with as Mm -hmm. well, and that is some of that for international listeners especially, but listeners in Australia as well. Give us a feeling for where Marrickville is Give us a feeling of what the suburb was like 10 years ago when you were kicking things off and, and how it's changed. Um, I was out there with a few of the uh, the call room crew in the middle of the rains last year, mid-year in Sydney. Um, but, yeah, just paint a bit of that picture and, and give us that feeling about why it's important for you to, to really sort of give the beer a home base. Well, uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know where to start, so I'll just kind of – I'll just start talking. <laughs> Yeah, tell us. Uh, tell so, us about Sydney. Tell us about Merrickville. Uh, yeah, so I uh, well, I live not far from. I'm not technically not in Merrickville. Um, oh, and that light's like. Oh, I'm, I'm just gonna change that. Um, so I live pretty much right down the street from the brewery, and um, it's um, you know, Sydney is a beautiful city. We've got the Opera House. We've got the Harbour Bridge. Um, it's awesome. Our weather's great. Um, but I, uh, I, I like, whilst I love all those things and the beaches, there's a nice, it's kind of nice to be able to go into certain parts of town and experience a a more of a gritty, um, element, um, that's, it's not all neat and shiny. Um, and so, um, I used to work for Lion before I started Batch. And um, I was in Melbourne. I, my brother used to run a brewery in Baltimore as well. Um, and so I've kind of been involved in the beer industry f- like my whole career. Um, and when I was working there for him, just cleaning kegs and that sort of thing, I, ha- I had a great time. Like I loved it. Um, but then I moved to Australia and um, ended up kind of getting into my my career and doing did marketing. You, did you move over for the beaches or for the opportunity of keg cleaning? Because it sounds like, you know, you really had your whole life and career planned out there. Keg cleaning at the beach is what I was, <laughs> was what I was sold on. Now, 
Uh, no, I'm at, I'm I'm always at, thought, I just always thought that Marrickville was just the only Melbourne suburb that made it to Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there, so there's a story in that. Um, uh, a, 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 refer, a Melbourne reference there. Um, I, uh, I'll get to that in a second. I was, but I um, uh, no, I met my wife in 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 who's Australian, and um, I moved down here and uh, decided to forget about maybe being a brewer or whatever. And, and then um, I'm a marketer, so I ended up working at Lion um, for a while, and I was on you know Forex and um, James Bogues and all that kind of stuff, and. Um, when I, while I was working on Bogues, I was in Melbourne and I was in, uh, I went to Richmond to Mountain Goat and, uh, I was down there for, I think it was on Friday night. I think Collingwood was playing Richmond or something at the MCG. Uh, and, um, I was at Mountain Goat and I was sitting there just drinking beers and eating pizza. And I was like, holy shit, this is what I need to be doing. Like what, a, like I forgot about it. Cause that's what I, my, my brother's brews, it was very similar and I was like, and it wasn't his brewery. He was, just, he was, he was the general manager. And I, but I was like, man, this is, I forgot what this is like. So this is what I need to do. And that's when I got my, the itch. So I was like in, in, uh, in Richmond, kind of like that warehousey district area, um, huge, like gr- a bit gritty. And I was like, man, this is, this is great. So at the time I, I got the itch and I was like, I need to do this. And so I, um, uh, you know, I had a young, uh, uh, my daughter, uh, around that time. And so, you know, be out like your kid would fall asleep in the car. And so you're like, Oh shit. All right. Well, I'm going to be sitting in my car for the next two hours. Cause you don't want to wake him up. So I'd be driving around and I kind of, I knew Merrickville, but I kind of discovered the really gritty aspect of it and, and all the industrial what better place than to take us to take a sleeping yeah. child to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I'm kind of driving around. I'm like, oh man, this place is kind of, this is pretty cool. And then like on the weekends, it's like dead. There's just nothing going on. Um, it was just literally dead. And I was like, there's a huge train station there. And what got me onto it was, um, I was driving by double roasters. Um, and there's literally nothing else. And all these people are waiting outside in a line for coffee. And I was like, if people are going to walk down here and wait, and get in line for coffee, then surely they'll come down here for a beer. So, and that was it. And so I was kind of like, this is where we should, this is where I'm going to start the brewery. And, um, Chris and I kind of like looked at a whole bunch of different places and I was, you know, like he, he lived in Mossman at the time. And I was like, Oh, we can look at the North shore. Fine. But I was like, I was like the whole time I was like, it's going to be in Merrickville. So, um, We've, we found for, again site. for overseas listeners. You're talking about two very contrasting suburbs, there, aren't you? I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Mossman would be like, yeah, very, very clean, uh, rich, uh, and Merrickville. Yeah, Merrickville's gritty, not and and, and luckily not dangerous. So I do think that uh, at one point Merrickville had a lot of um, uh, a couple of bikey clubhouses and stuff like that. Um, I've heard some stories. So I, I, initially, when I get in, I was like. Oh, I hope we don't run into any of that. But I think it, it had already it, it already kind of left the area, thankfully. Um, so we didn't have to worry about dealing with any of those things. But um, I mean, Merrickville, though, for international listeners, it was rated as one of the top uh, ten best suburbs in the world. I, I'm still confused why, but um, it's apparently it's pretty cool. I, mean, I think if you if you there's a lot of good breweries there now, and the food scene's pretty cool. It's but it's still gritty. It's like it's not, it's not, it's not polished. If you go there, you're actually going to get, get a pretty good experience in my opinion. Um, food, drink, uh, wise, like a whole, the whole, the whole thing. So it's pretty, I like it. 
and I live near here, so it's it's good. I like living here. I lost my I lost what I was talking about. Well, I guess to, to go back to the question, and it's funny because we were talking with Mick earlier on about you know whether you call something a lager or a pilsner. Why have that word Marrickville on there? It's got to sell to more than just Marrickville, doesn't it? So what, what do you reckon that sort of means now to the, at least the New South Wales beer market? What does it mean? I don't know. Like, I think, um, you know, I've come to realize with Batch, uh, you know, I, like I, we, we need to be proud of where we, where we come from. So that's the reason why it's on there. So we are definitely proud of, of it being Merrickville, a Merrickville beer. But if it doesn't like resonate with the with everyone and the rest of New South Wales, the rest of the country, that's okay. Like if it just ends up being a beer that is really only distributed in in, in the Sydney kind of metro area, then that's totally cool. Like I'm not um um Is someone from Manly gonna jump onto a Merrickville beer? They might. They might not. I hope they do, I really do. Yeah. But I, I think it's delicious. I'm really enjoying it. Great, easy drinking beer. But, I think. Um, oh, go on. No, I, I just. It's interesting. I've, I've had conversations with with breweries before about naming beers, and like I've, I've just always just gone by style. That's just how I do it. And with like limited releases, I give them stupid names, and I've done that with other breweries that I've worked with. But putting a place name on it, I, I think it can be divisive. I don't really care. I don't want to just drink Geelong Bitter again. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to drink Marrickville. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting call because like, where's your resonance outside of Sydney? Are, are you selling the dream of Marrickville? Is there a dream for Marrickville? See, I reckon that's a ripper question. Just to cut across, and Andrew, just to, by way of context, I guess down here in Melbourne, when you know we used to have Footscray Ale down here. I yeah. reckon that was one of those suburbs where people went, "Oh no, I get what Footscray is about. I'm sort of into into that." I'm happy to be seen drinking that for those people who consider that kind of thing in terms of how they approach things. I, I thought Marrickville might be the same. It, maybe it is. I, I think for for me, um, I I was more than happy to take the punt on um, whether it was it resonated or didn't resonate. I think for me, the main thing was that we were referencing um, multiple things one is yeah like being the, our first beer and then being the first brewery in Merrickville and also and and just referencing Merrickville in general because we were proud of where we come from um and so it, it's 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 more than just kind of just it, it it's almost like young henry's newtown or like they're kind of making a mm. statement with what they um with that beer and kind of and kind of claiming that and so i'm not i wasn't really considering that and trying to copy it, I was. It just kind of happened to be that we said it. It made sense on multiple levels for us to have to call it Maryville Original for the for the beer and where the the breweries, uh, the brew the first brewery in Maryville. So I think um, you know, for us we um, um, I I kind of just said this is the right. I, like it just made sense. I was like, this is the right name for it. So I, I didn't think too much past that, to be perfectly honest. Like I was, <clears throat> I didn't deliberate on it. And again, the reason, part of the reason why is because when we came into this local drinks collective uh, piece, and hopefully we're going to bring on other breweries. When we set out to start batch, like it's, it's great. Like I would, I, I want to, I would love to be nationally known. That's awesome. And I want people to experience our beers but at the same time, if we only end up being, you know, a Sydney 
a predominantly Sydney beer, that's totally that's totally fine with mm. us, and it could just be that that's what that's what Batch does, and it's more of a the local style. So, and if that happens, then Merrifield kind of means something to everyone that's drinking it because it's not that far away. But if it ends up becoming something bigger and people do resonate with with um, with the name, then that's awesome. Um, you know, and maybe you know maybe we can find some fun stuff to do to, to help to help make it mean something to everybody else uh, as well. But we'll see. We'll see. I think it's interesting that you know, probably ten fifteen years ago, Marrickville wasn't aspirational, and yet for a lot of people now, Marrickville is aspirational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, it's definitely more aspirational than it was ten years ago. I can say that much. Um, and rents are a lot more expensive now. Too. Of <laughs> no doubt, yeah, <laughs> and no doubt that's not just for um for, for households. Oh, I, was, I, was talking, I, was, I was talking about businesses. I was even well, that's, 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 that's where I was going to go as well. So it ties us back into the recession nail from yeah. just before, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, it's it was funny. Muggs and I had exactly the same thought when you said Young Henry's new town art. Because, yeah, we both were thinking, yeah, the Marrickville original kind of... Along those lines, I think it works in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, on the theme of iconic, I suppose, iconic things that are related to, to the brewery, um, we had Pash the Magic Dragon our next year on last time, like episode 50. Um, and it's been a long time, and we... I kind of alluded to it in the previous podcast when uh, Mick was talking about the zeitgeist that kind of occurs when, when like, someone thinks of doing a passion fruit sour <laughs> or, or, like, a red IPA. And I think that one, like, in one week we had, one month we had five straight um, podcast where they'd all decided a red IPA was the thing that would bring on the podcast. But I think it's just fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just fascinating with beers like this. But with something like um, Passion Magic Dragon, has is there more or less interest to these styles of beer than than the first time you brewed it? Well, I mean, Pash is uh, Pash has been in our core range for. Um... Oh, I don't even know how long. Um, it's been around for a while. So it's it's not the first sour that we brewed. We brewed, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you how many sours we brewed, but the name, this is a, another one where the name um, just rolled off the tongue uh, mm. based on the recipe uh, of passion fruit and ja- dragon fruit. Um, and I'm trying to remember who came up with it. I know Topher was it was working for us at the time. He was involved in that. Um, anyway, but we basically um, we uh, it, it we just passion fruit and sour it just works. So we um, we brewed that and um, that kicked off like a series of um, fruited sours for us, where we had like rat names and a whole bunch of other stuff. So. Um, and we went, we did, we did that for a while and I've backed off of it now because I thought like it's kind of run its course a little bit, but for, but there was a period of time where we were putting out lots of sours and I actually thought that we were going to be, um, like I thought we, uh, we're going to hang our hat on being 
like a sour brewery, a kettle sour brewery. And that, um, that's the sours of the next big thing. <laughs> mm. And that's like, it's going to, everyone's going to get into this. It's going to bring, um, you know, a lot more women into the industry and then men and women can share a beer together. That's something that everyone likes. And, um, mm. and, you know, and also I like, I like, I prefer tartness over bitterness anyway. So for me, I'm, I'm not like a huge um, IPA drinker. Um, so I prefer, I actually, a lot of the times like to drink, if you, if you put an IPA in front of me or a sour, I choose a sour almost every time. Um, mm. cause I like tartness. So, um, you know, we, we, we invested a lot of time in, um, in, in a sour program and, uh, lately we've backed off. I think sour, I think sours in general of, um, are not as they've kind of cooled down a bit, but mm-hmm. again, back to what I was talking about before, I mean, I think that, you know, people know and like certain sours, things like Passion Magic Dragon, and during the summertime, it just absolutely goes nuts. So it's a it's a well it's a well loved beer. Um, so yeah, it's been I can't remember exactly when we put it in our core range, but it's been um, we added it in uh, uh, probably three years in, I think. So it's, maybe it's been around for seven years, possibly. Wow. Wow. C- certainly, my first some of my first memories of the brewery were this and other sours, and if I say sort of weird and wonderful that turns a bit pejorative I don't mean it in that sense but just some some styles and some ingredients that I would never have thought of and I hadn't encountered before in beers before I had them from you guys yeah cool nice (laughs) (laughs) how how important is like having a tasting room people taste these different styles with those non-pejorative weird and wacky flavors that, <laughs> that David's talked about kind of play into what you guys did with sours because I I felt that too I felt like there was a, a while there where you guys were were doing some really interesting things with with uh sour beers uh so how how important the tasting room is hugely important I mean like I, I think um and that and that's part of the reason why we're still we still produce uh, a lot of limiteds um in that and, and they're really just served in the tasting room and people get, get to come in and kind of try the new, new and different stuff all the time. It just depends on whether you, um, so it's really, so from an experience point of view, like the tasting room is really important. So it's like literally like you, you, you can, in our tasting room, we want you to be able to come in and try and, and have a good experience. Obviously you want everyone, you want everyone to have a good experience, but try, be able to try something new and live to our name batch. Right. So, part of us part of the brand always needs to be doing new and different and fun stuff Mm -hmm. um so i don't see how we'll ever stop doing that like we'll we'll always do that it's just that we're not putting it out in in cans and stuff as much Mm -hmm. so it's really important for that so people can explore and do different things and then if we're when, when we're on our game um we can actually like or we have something that we think is going to go well then we'll put it out there and test it and try and get some feedback for it and then figure out where they want to scale it up um, from there. So yeah, the t- tasting rooms are, are important for, for many reasons, um, uh, you know, for R and D, but also for, you know, just people just coming in and experiencing and having. I'd also suggest they're important because uh, selling beer, selling your own beer in your own venue is a, is a lot more cost effective than selling beer in someone else's venue. Yeah, yes, that is true. Well, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be mercenary about it. No, no, no. It's a really good call. I think that's a really great model and, for a lot of breweries we've had on too. Drink, if I can drink beer at the source, then I'm I'm much happier. And I generally find, like, if it's a beer I don't know about, if I'm at a brewery bar, 
then the staff are at least switched on enough to know what they're talking about. Whereas, you know, you see a limited release at a pub and you ask, ask the, the barkeep, you know, what's that? I don't know, the boss ordered it. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. you know... If I, if I go into a, if I go into a brewery, the staff know what it is, and they you know they they feel involved and invested in that beer. Yeah. Um, and you take that even further. I think uh, the brand can be totally built off the venue. Um, Little Creatures is a beer example. I think that Fremantle built that 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 brand, but also uh, a brand like Aesop, who you know. They've never advertised ever. That's ten billion dollars. But I mean, we we talk, we've, we've talked about goat a couple of times tonight, and mm. and the you know the goat tap room kept that brewery alive for a couple of years. Yeah, um, absolutely. They didn't have that that market reach, and it, it you know it took a long long time for them to actually break into Melbourne as an independent. But the tap room was always busy. Whether on a Wednesday or a Friday, it was it was busy. Mm-hmm. I am kind of intrigued as to whether you guys overlapped there, although I think, Mick, you might have been there in the days that I was visiting the tap room. I feel, uh, Andrew, like you might have come a little bit later in the piece, depending on what time you were hanging out at the, at the Mountain Goat Brewery. Uh, did you work there? I didn't. I, I did some of my best work there, but I, uh, I was never paid to be there. <laughs> uh, when was... That that night that I'm talking about would have been in, um, oh man, probably 2011. Yeah, yeah no. that was a, that was a bit after my time in pre date. You were by the way a fair bit there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know it's still going? A friend of mine worked there recently. A friend of mine who's just opened a, a pizza restaurant in in, uh, in on Sydney Road. But yeah, he worked there for a little while, and apparently they do exactly the same stuff. Oh, I- <laughs> Killing, killing it with weddings on a Sunday, booked out for like 18 months. Uh, um, crazy. You know, yeah. my, my wife would not have married me in a brewery. Um, <laughs> but, it, yeah, it's it's still a great night out. I've, I still take people there, um, yeah, and then you pop across to Brogan's and, and get yourself a nice whiskey after it. Mm, good call. Um, Mugs is a really uh, good question for the moment, and I'm really fascinated too, and I think a lot of our our homebrew listeners will will be interested. Um, how do you get the dragon? What form does the dragon fruit take? Do you mash? Do you get the whole fruit and mash it yourself? Oh no, it's um. It, it used to uh. It used to be um. I think it's always been uh, aseptic. So it's it's in bags. Oh, yeah, cool. So that was going to be my question was not how you do it now, but how did you do it in the beginning? I was interested mm. to see whether things had changed. Oh, I mean, I, I think in the the, fir- the first iterations of it, we probably would have, um, like, actually had a dragon fruit and, like, scooped it out kind of thing um, to test. But now it's, like, there's asept- <coughs> aseptic bags that we use um, yeah. that, adds, that are more, like, of a in liquid form for – it's for yield – um, we don't put that much dragon fruit in. Dra- dragon fruit really doesn't add that much flavor. Um, it's uh, mm. it's really more for color, mm. and, and it sounds really cool. Yeah, and it sounds <laughs> yeah, and it um, links to the it links to the shtick on the label, and, and it has to. Yeah, well, yeah, we can't take it off. You <laughs> <laughs> couldn't. Have. Yeah. yeah, in the future, you could just kind of throw a dragon fruit in the whirlpool. It's just like yeah. <laughs> 
but it wouldn't have the color that, like it really it does it makes it like the color of it uh is that's the dragon fruit hmm yeah everything else is passion fruit <clears throat> like all the the aroma and flavor and everything's passion fruit but the dragon fruit adds the color and maybe a little bit of earthiness but it'd be very it's very subtle um yeah well you go david Oh, I was going to say, Mr. Wu, I reckon we've probably got a couple of questions uh, left for this beer because we've actually been very efficient in moving our our discussion tonight around the pre-written school teacher questions that I had pre-sort of preordained. Then we might have a quick break for a couple of minutes uh, and then we might come back and talk about the trippy hippie. But probably those those last couple of questions that we were thinking about for this one were, were really things about sort of your journey through brewing and mm. if you had your time over, particularly before the local drinks collective sort of kicked off, mm-hmm. you know, what were the good bits? What were the bad bits? What were the lessons you've learned and what would you be saying to people? We have a lot of listeners who are keen home brewers but, and who dream of starting a brewery, you know, oh. what would you be recommending to them? So let's let's start off on that sort of, slightly negative thing about, you know, is there a trend you missed along the way or something that now that you know you would have done differently? Oh, God, I don't know. There's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of things. I mean, You only it, get one because we're here to be positive. Yeah. <laughs> um, in theory, I, if I'm being honest, I, I, I wouldn't do anything differently. Um, yeah, you, you have good. to. That's a great answer, man. I love it. Yeah, you have you have to um, own. I mean, and no, all for, right. No, I, I I think I know where you're going with this, Andrew. But let me rephrase, and I I I I'd love to hear what you were going to say. But let me rephrase. If the brewery was to burn down tomorrow, and we all hope that doesn't happen, yes, would yeah. you do it again exactly the same way? No. I think that's it. And what would be the one big thing you would not do that you did on your first journey? Uh, oh man, it's still this is like this is a tough one. I I, w- I wouldn't have any overheads. I... Like I would be. I so I think I think um, not. It's not that you can't have any overheads, but there's there's a shitload of overheads, like a ton. <laughs> Yeah, but um, my, my follow up on that is how many times have you upgraded the brewery in ten years? Mm-hmm. Um, I've so the Merrickville Brewery has been upgraded. Oh, um, I'm t- probably. I mean, it's like on average, it'd be like once a year something happens. So you know, you put in your initial stuff, then you uh. Add a second row of tanks, then you add a third row of tanks, which doubles the first two. Then you buy a um, small canning line, and then you get rid of that one, buy another one, or a bottling line. Then you buy another bottling line. Then you fuck off bottles and get a canning line. Then you fuck off that canning line and get a new canning line. <laughs> uh, so, And then you build another small, smaller brewery. I reckon we answered your question, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> do it differently. You just do it yeah. where you're at now. You do that the first time around. Yeah, I think knowing I think, that you're going to be successful and popular. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what you have to keep in mind, like I think right now, it, it's a it's a it's a really um, it's a really uh, tough one to answer because we're mm. we are in the toughest part of the um, cycle at the moment, yeah. and um, so 
you know, with local drinks collective and all the stuff, we have, we have a huge amount of overheads and we're, we're very conscious of that. And we're, we're going to be, we are going to be consciously working to try and, um, streamline some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we have some inefficient warehouse spaces, but you've got leases. We have, uh, some inefficient mm-hmm. venues, um, but we have leases. So we need to figure out if, somebody else can run those better than we can and all that kind of stuff. So there's things that like, there's decisions I've made through raising money, buying bucket boys, all that kind of stuff hmm. um, where you sit there and say, okay, well, I don't regret any of it, but there we're, we are making some, some changes um, based on what our overall capability um, and mental headspace is and, and financial situation. So there are, um, so yeah, so I think if it burned down and came back, I'd say, keep, keep it simple. Like you can still do a whole bunch of really great stuff, but try and keep the overall operation simple. So right now we've got a relatively complex situation. We are trying to actively simplify it. Um, that's, that, that would be, that's my mantra, like simplification, pick the right, pick the things that are right. So having tasting rooms, hundred percent, very important having um, production that's efficient, extremely important, especially in this day and age, uh, having things that are inefficient and too expensive, bucket off. That's, that's my, my simple version. And I have all of, I have all of that stuff happening right now. So, um, so yeah, like, so there's, so yeah, anyway. I'd love to know in that question of, you know, making, you know, I know you're not a brewer, but in that question of, you know, how to make things efficient. What does that look like? Just bigger scale of what you're doing or were there always little things along the way that now you can sort of see a line that, you know, oh, this would make it better, would have, I should have done that ages ago. Uh, yeah, efficiency is just, um, yeah, I mean, efficiency comes down to, uh, and this, and the, yeah, and sometimes it means you have to scale certain things, but it, like to me, efficiency means being able to, have have the economies of scale to brew big batches, uh, and so you, you you can buy more malt um, at a cheaper rate, hops, all that kind of stuff because you have you have the scale, but you can still I mean because I like the innovation piece you can still um, brew smaller quantities without having to your prices uh, going up. So I mean having a bigger brew house is definitely more efficient. Having a Canning line that runs faster is definitely more efficient. Having being able to have a pasteurizer, even though a lot of independent brewers don't, we we've never pasteurized our beer, but having access to stuff like that makes a huge difference to um to being able to uh, send your beer overseas if you're going to do that, like all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's there are um, yeah, there are a lot of different things that kind of go into that. Um, the, the the same question in a slightly different form is. Obviously, on the positive side, you know, what would be the one thing you'd say to a new person starting their own brewery? Obviously, starting from a different scale, obviously, different sort of capacity to go, yeah, sure, I'll buy all of this cool stuff, I'll mortgage five houses. And if you would, if you were starting from the same scale with, I guess, that sort of mentality of, I've got to put my toe in the water and find out how it works, is there a bit of a lesson in, in, for those kinds of people you'd like to pass on? Well, the first one is don't mortgage your house. Don't do any, like, definitely don't yeah. do any of that. 
Um, you, um, um, yeah, if you're really interested in doing it, like I, uh, I, 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 I encourage you to potentially wait for a little while longer, um, uh, because the market is saturated at the moment. So, mm-hmm. um, but if you, if you're dead keen on doing it now, my advice would be go in and just do a brew pub at the moment. Mm-hmm. You can always scale up after that later with your contract brewing or something if you need to, but don't go into it. Um, um, with, yeah, expecting that you're going to, it's spending too much. Like, this is my point about the overheads, like spending too much money and, and, um, going too big too soon. Cause then you're chasing your tail. So start off with something that, you know, and, and plan to fail as mm. well. Go in and be like, um, I, okay. Or, or, or plan your basics. So like, this is, and this is what we did with batch. We said, um, initially, like, it was like, okay, so we just, in order to make this thing work, we just have to sell initially. It was like just the two of us. We just have to sell 20 kegs a week or 10 kegs a week. And then if we've get, if we get a hundred people coming into the tap room and they spend five bucks each, okay, we can make this thing work. Like that's, and I was like working the numbers at the very, very bare minimum saying, is this achievable? And we're like, well, yeah, I mean, it is. If we put a little bit of effort into it. Hmm. So you have to make sure you, you, um, you really have to be clear about what your, your base is. Right. And like knowing, okay, if I can do that, then I can make it work. And then, and then you can kind of build on it from there, but don't, but, but don't go in, um, unless you have millions and millions of dollars, don't go in and like, um, you know, go hell for leather and build a 50 heck, brew house and do all this kind of stuff. And you have this huge kit, but you don't have any beer to sell. So it's better to start small, keep everything really simple um, and, and build on it from there. And that's what we, that's what we effectively did. And then we, we've kind of built it into this, um, you know, again, going back to it, like would I do anything differently? No, but uh, you know, I built a small, small batch. I had two breweries and then I went and bought bottle shop and small bar times two and then, and we merged with with LDC. So we have a lot going on. And now we're like, as I said, we're actively kind of trying to shut off some of the stuff to make our to make everything a little bit simpler. And we will. Um, but you got to be careful getting into that thing where you've just got there's just too much. I got a little statement, which will be a question: Is I remember advising a brewery like own your own backyard before you worry about somewhere else. So yeah. do. You, do you, do you agree with that sentiment? Like, it's great to be national. It's great to be international, whatever. But you need, I guess, your local community to see you as their brewery. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think um, I, I think you definitely should. And have have we done our backyard as well as we could have? I, I don't think so. But you but it's very important that yeah you have the support of your your local um your your local area uh mm-hmm. more before you start to 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 span out in my yeah, opinion. I, I i think it's just super important and, and it'd be my advice I'm, i know this podcast has people that want to open a brewery and that's great and but you know open a, a little tap room and and own your town like yeah. be 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 something your town's proud of I look at, at, at Bridge Road in Beechworth mm. and like that town just just froths over whatever Ben's 
putting out. Yeah. I think, you know, there's like five pubs or six pubs in that town and like five of them have got his beer on tap, even though he's got a successful tap room there. Mm. And, and that's something to be really proud of. Um, I know with, you know, my my little contract brand, like I'm I'm super happy to tell people like, yeah, you can get it down the road at the local bottle shop. Um, and, and I think, you know, with, with such a crowded market, it's it's really important that, you don't forget where you come from. And I think, you know, I've, I've finished in Marrickville and I really enjoyed it. I've just, I've just cracked the, uh, the trippy hippie and I'm, I'm hoping you're going to talk about that because that's a bang on West Coast and I love West Coast. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really passionate about the idea of, you know, we, we go back 200 years or 150 years and every town had a brewery and that's what the pub sold. And I, I, I look at how we've, we've spread and we want to be national, we want to be international, we want to be friends with everybody. But it's like, hang on, I've got my own backyard here and they're the people that are going to keep me afloat in a recession. They're the people going to celebrate in my venue. They're going to commiserate in my venue. And that, I think, is is the strength of a brewery. Hey, Mick, I yeah, really like no, the way you've just... You've, you've just basically done a, a great sort of, you know, test shoot there to become the new host of the podcast because you've not only made some really valid points, you've given us the segue to the next beer that we're going to be having. Mm. Um, what do you reckon? I, I really oh, want... you, you can have me guess whenever you want. My, wa- my wife's gone to bed, the kid's gone to bed, the dog's still here. Um... <laughs> Let's take a five-minute little break in the room. Let's come back to get Andrew's response to that question. But let's just make sure that everyone's got that right beer in front of them and got their glasses clean and ready to go. Well, we're back here in the Zoom room. It's great to hear. I just pumped up Mick's tyres. I said he was going to be a great new host when I retire. That he and Mr Warren, we were going to be sitting down, sort of Jesse the Body Ventura and uh, Gorilla Monsoon style. And then he's fallen into that sort of initial bunker that everyone who's a co-host here on The Cool Room does, which is having the very best conversations when the recording isn't on. So we've just opened up the can of the trippy hippie. We've got to talk about the beer. We've got to talk about the label and the rebranding. Mr Warren Wu, it's up to you, my friend, to steer this ship away from the rocks and to get us back on track knowing that we really need to wrap things up pretty quick because everyone in the Zoom room has been super generous with their time. Yeah, yeah. Mate, take control. Um, Andrew, for a bloke who doesn't particularly like bitterness and uh, and where, where, uh, where I think a West Coast IPA probably isn't there necessarily their cup of tea, you do an awfully good one. Um, this Thank is you. terrific. Yeah, this is delicious. Um. We, we, was there was there an inspiration for this? Did you guys have a, a idea of where you what you wanted this to be like? Yeah, I was in the lead up. I was trying to remember the the genesis of it. Basically, I'm pretty sure um, we had brewed uh, a couple versions of it, and I think we were in. Portland at the CBC, which would have been maybe like eight years ago or something like that. And Chris and I were having this conversation where they're saying like, oh, I'm, I, you know, we've got American Pale Ale. I really think that um, we should bring in a, an IPA into the core range. Mm. And, um, you know, we had been drinking, you know, tons of IPAs in 
on the West Coast, obviously. And I, I mean, I was probably, it, yeah, I, I think we'd already tested it, but there's a bit of fatigue happening there anyway. Mm. And I think I was just kind of like, I, we, I, we, it needs to be a little bit lower ABV. So it's a bit more sessionable. Mm-hmm. Um, and also smooth, a little, in my opinion, it's a little smoother. So I don't think the, I, I think there is bitterness there, obviously, but, um, mm. it's, um, it's really well balanced out. So for me, it's very drinkable. Um, uh, that is, um, it is an IPA I like to drink. Um, that point of balance that to me is, that tells me I want to have another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When beers aren't balanced, you can still enjoy them, but you go, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. This one is, is really well done. Congratulations. It, it's, it's a super well-balanced West Coast. Um, you know, and, and we can argue with an IPA or a pale if, if we're on BA judging. Um, <laughs> but to me, it's a, it's a super balanced beer. Mm. Um, it's, got, it's got beautiful malt sweetness. It's got that bitterness you know, balancing it out. And, and that's, that's a beer I'd be really proud of to make. So well done. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And so, yeah, so we um, – yeah, and the, the, the basis of it was, yeah, we, we wanted to do a West Coast IPA, uh, but we um, – and this is the conversation we had when we weren't recording, but this is what, <laughs> is what bucked um, the trend in saying, we, we, you know, it's it, – we want to make it 5.8%. We don't want it to, to be too heavy, which we know is not um, too, you know – judging styles so i don't know i was saying I, I i'm pretty sure we've had to we, we've submitted it as a pale ale i think before and not as a west coast ipa for ju- for the judges because they 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 wouldn't have accepted it um i think i think we've done that but yeah, what do they know yeah <laughs> but who cares it doesn't matter if people like it yeah that's all that matters so like we basically um um yeah it, it's it's it, it de- it's definitely i am definitely very proud of uh that this ipa and um, you know, so it, th- this is another one that's been in the core range f- for, for quite a while. And, um, um, and, you know, American pale ale was just called American pale ale. And then we had West coast IPA. It was just West coast IPA. So in the refresh, obviously, uh, APA went to Merrickville original with a little bit of a recipe adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, passion magic dragon just stay the same, um, from a, um, uh, recipe point of view, but obviously the label looks different. Um, and then West Coast um, IPA, no change to the recipe on that one either, but we decided to give it a name. So um, I I just kind of pulled this. We, we had a few different um, references. Most of them were like weed references, to be perfectly honest, like kind of like, um, but we none of them really worked. And so I, I just said, let's just call it Trippy Hippie because we've done a, a whole series of beers called Trippy Hippie, um, the first of which was... Um, uh, it was either Voodoo Gold or uh, Double Rainbow, and a couple others that we had done. Um, some of some of which we've released in cans. Um, and um, I wanted to kind of give, make sure we're giving, uh, you know, a nod to our heritage, so to speak, even though we're only ten years old, uh, or the people who have worked in the brewery. So Trippy Hippie is um, uh, Andrew Melly, who used to uh, brew for us, and he brews at, uh, I think he's still at uh, Earth, uh, just up north of Byron. Um, and he was, he had dreadlocks, still does have dreadlocks, I think. I haven't seen him in a little while, but uh, we called him kind of like Trippy Hippie, and he kind of developed some of the beers to that range. So basically, it's kind of just a nod back to some of the people we've had working for us. And it felt like 
felt like it was suitable. So, you know, that now we have a core range that all has kind of personalities and names to it. I love that you've rebranded and it's also included nods to your history. I mean, 10 years is, is terrific for any business, but especially a, 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 a business in the craft brewery world. Um, with your rebound, what was what led you to decide it was time for the rebrand? Like, what was there a was there a particular thing? Was it because it's been ten years? Um, yeah, it was. It was in the conversations we were going into local drinks collective. Um, we Pete and I were talking about. Um, uh, what, were, what were we talking about? I think we had talked about Wayward just having a, a refresh like a year oh. or so before. And I said, oh, well, we haven't, you know, we've done, like, I've done pack changes from, like, bottles to 440 mils down to 375 mils, but it's all been relatively similar. And I, um, you know, I think I, I we kind of quickly came to the decision that we should put a refresh. Oh, like, it's, okay, we haven't really, we've had the same logo and everything. Nothing's really changed. We've just moved formats so maybe it's time to kind of open it up. And I'm very, I love change. Like I, like I'm used to kind of changing things all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. And what we realized really quickly was that um, I think the, uh, the man, the, the, the logo that we had, whilst it was like, in my opinion, still iconic, it's still very relevant. We'll still use it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, the man just needed to be a bit like refreshed a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little bit wooden. Um, and so how could we change it? So we had many iterations of what the new icon would look like, but what we landed on was that, that Merrickville original is kind of like the kind of new updated version of it. Um, we just wanted to make the guy a little bit more friendly and approachable. Um, and then that flows into all of the other brands, whether they're a man or a woman and some doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. Um, um, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that it's, we're still very much using that kind of that uh, a symbol and the man kind of holding someone holding a keg and holding out a beer, yeah. even though trippy hippie, I think um, like I'm looking flower. at your can uh, flowers and peace signs and stuff like that. So like yeah. um, still very much the same image, but um, relevant to what that beer style is. So I, I'm, um, um, yeah, and I, I'm I'm really happy with where it's landed because I think it's just it's just given a new, um, re- I mean, for lack of a better terms, just refreshed the imagery. Um, was, that, was that a team effort to get there, or was that just you going? This is my vision. Sorry, say it again. Was it was it a team effort to to land on the new designs, or was that yeah. just saying this is what I'm going to do? No, no, it was a team effort. Yeah, it was. Um, uh, it was it was very much. Um, you know, we, uh, with our marketing manager, uh, for local drinks collective, working with her, um, and kind of figuring out what, you know, the history of batch. So I was kind of, we're kind of using our brand ID and all that kind of stuff and saying, well, um, this is where I think we can go. And this is how I think we can make some of these changes. Um, and then kind of getting consensus of the group and then, and then, and then briefing it into Clint. And, um, and he did a, he did a stellar job, um, where, where we landed, but Clint, even if he was on tonight, um, 
Which I think he was supposed to be, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, this is really noteworthy, can I say. Normally, Clint has this weird sixth sense and just wanders into the Zoom room on a Thursday <laughs> night. You know, I think last time we had Bright on, he just suddenly appeared in the room. I think he's literally in the process of landing at Tullamarine from some overseas yeah, trip at the moment. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought he, he, was, I thought he was overseas. So if, if, he, if he pops on, like, in a minute, that would be crazy. But um, you know, and he 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 can probably expand on. He went through. We, there's many iterations of whether we should change uh, the 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 man to be a B and all this other kind of stuff. So like we we kind of went, and he 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 presented all these different options, and then we had a lot. There's a lot. Sorry, of, I've got to, I've got to ask the question. Do you mean the letter B or the insect B? Uh, the letter B. So okay. like right now, the man is the A, and it was kind of like should we. Should the the icon be the B? And I said, no, we can't. We really need to keep the icon that we've got mm-hmm. um, in the man, and 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 actually just and 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 update that as opposed to kind of. So there's a lot of internal discussion um, as to mm-hmm. whether we change the icon completely. And so so to 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 your point, yeah, I, I was a little bit like, no, 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 we have we we can't change it too much. We can't. We need to. We need to keep that man as the A. Let's just let's just focus on that and try and make him a little bit more friendly and approachable. Um, but it was all really good, healthy discussions. It's uh, that's the kind of stuff I love. Um, um, and yeah, I don't know, but it, it's it, it's we've come out with. I think it looks great. Clint's done a cracker job, and um, he's doing more work for us um, on some other limiteds and NPD stuff that we're working on with Local Drinks Collective, and um, has is nailed all of it. So. There's going to be some really exciting stuff coming from us. Well, that's what it's I was going to ask sort of next is, you know, what's going to be in the core range? Is he working just on the core range? Is the limited releases going to have a different look? And, you know, how are you approaching the marketing from here on in? Well, yeah, the, so the core range is, um, has that kind of structure. Um, there's a limited release structure that he's developed for us, um, which is slightly slightly different, so not the same uh lockup and um so yeah so uh watermelon um a beer we release kind of every uh november usually um i think i think we're releasing in december this year um we've changed uh we're changing the recipe a little bit but we we basically um uh we've got like a solid kind of format for the, those limited releases that can go in 375 or 440 mil cans once we get the capability to do that. Um, and then, but then they're also, he's also working on some wayward stuff. Uh, so we've got some interesting wayward stuff coming up and then we've got some non, well, not non-branded, but um, some beer, um, some non-beer um, NPD that is, might, be it's not necessarily going to be from local drinks, but it'd be by wayward or by batch, mm-hmm. but not heavily branded with, with some of our stuff. So we, we're, we've got some, there's some really, I'm really excited about some of the stuff we're putting out. And this to my point before about, um, you know, expanding outside of beer and where the market's going. So we're very much, you know, we are born from beer, local drinks collective, like two breweries, hopefully a couple more breweries coming on. We're all very Ooh, there's much, the scoop. You say, that's the scoop. We'll come back to that. Don't worry. Uh, oh, is that the question? No, that's oh, just, question just, just, just saying that you've mentioned a couple more breweries coming on. We're not going to let that go. Oh, uh, well, that's all. 
<laughs> that's all I can say about that. But the, the intention is for us to get, um, we were local drinks collective was always intending on bringing on, um, wayward and batch, uh, you know, entered into it to, uh, for proof of concept. Um, and it's been a tough year, uh, for the industry in total, but we're, we are very working very strongly together. And, um, you know, as I said, trying, let's trying to streamline it and simplify some stuff, but the, the intention was always for us to bring on, um, another, another brewery and then, um, and then even a fourth brewery, but not necessarily from New South Wales. So ideally we end up having somebody from Queensland and somebody from Victoria, um, and then, so we can have an East Coast kind of presence. And then that way, uh, each, and this is to my point before, like each brand, we don't have to individually all go out and go national. It might, at that point, it might be like, we, we're really going to focus in on state-based brands, drive them really hard. And then you can still order the other brands and they'll still be available, but you have you, your, your focuses. So you can make those, you can make local heroes, um, you can build your local heroes, um, but you can do it with some scale where everyone's working together. So yeah, we're working on that. So I can't really say much more, unfortunately, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully there'll be some news um, from us in the next little while um, on how we're going to progress. But regardless, we're still working on some really fun NPD stuff. Like, like, as I said, like we're, we're, we're born from beer, but um, we need to um, expand out, we're expanding into water, um, you know, and, you know, all the way from water to um, non-alcoholic uh, beers to, you know, RTDs and stuff like that. Terrific. Yeah. Um, we slowly coming towards the end. I'm going to ask a cool question, um, Andrew, if you, yeah, so you probably heard it. You might have heard it. Who knows? Um, what is the craziest most exciting, most explosive thing you've seen in a cool room. And of course, we always let people know that the cool rooms are broad definitions so and not literally the cool room. But yeah, have you seen anything that's crazy that stood out in your mind in your history of, of oh, not necessarily your 10-year history, but, you know. Mick yeah. set the bar pretty high in episode 201, can I say, as well. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which was what? Uh, I've actually got to check with the army whether we were allowed to release what he said publicly. So let's just go with that as an explanation of what was being yeah, discussed. Well, so, I don't know Department of Defence is pretty tight on what they let out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I guess, I guess in that one, there was a time when I was filling kegs, and this is when the the cool, uh, all the fermenters were in the cool room, so they weren't jacketed. Um, so we were in an enclosed space. So I just remember I was filling in the kegs and like, uh, I was in there with one of the head brewer and I pretty sure I almost passed out. Cause, um, you know, obviously you're pushing out carbon dioxide on one side. I'm just sitting in this like back corner and it, the carbon dioxide levels, it must've just been like rising. And I was like, man, I'm like really out of breath right now. I don't know what's going on. He's like, get out of here, get out of here right now. Were you shorter uh, than him? Was there like you know? Were you the no, kid? no, no? I was taller than him too. So it was, but anyway, that's one. I there is a there is a crazy there is a bit of an interesting story. I I have to try and tell this like really succinctly because I actually do have to go soon. But um, 
this was back when I was filling cake. It was a Saturday morning uh, in Merrickville, and I needed to fill some kegs before I opened up the tasting room. And um, I was on, because I had left my job and was looking after the kids, like, part-time, even though I started the brewery. Um, for some reason, my friend of mine that works for Channel 7 uh, on Sunrise, and she was like, oh, you're the primary care of the kids, um, and we want to do this segment uh, on you. So I, I was like, okay, sure. Um, and I went in on Saturday morning early to go on the news, and I did this kind of interview. And um, so I'm sitting on the news, uh, like on national news, and I leave to get on the train. Um, and I was at Sydenham, like literally, like it was an express train Saturday morning. I was there like 10 minutes later um, from being on national news. And I get off the train and I, I walk into the brewery and I see that the coffee shop across the street is there's some honestly, oh, there's some dodgy guys standing out front of the brewery. And we have a brothel next door. So, um, uh, the coffee shop, I will go across the street to, to get a coffee. And I was like, what's going on over there? As I was talking to the guys like, Oh, those guys, they, um, they, they tried to go in, uh, and the brothel kicked them out and, um, they came to me asking me if I could buy alcohol. And of course I'm a brewery that you can buy alcohol. It's like, Oh no, oh, man, like, I don't want to have to deal with this right now. These guys are obviously like off their face from the night before. So I, I kind of quietly go into the brewery and leave out the back door because we have a little back alley and then go go into the back of the brothel because there's a back entrance. And I walk in and I like I knew like the madam and stuff like that because we're neighbors. And I kind of walked in. I was like, do you know what's going on with these guys next door? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. We just told them to wait. Like we're getting the room ready. I was like, oh, because I asked for alcohol, but I don't want to serve them. They're like, oh, don't worry. I'll be fine. They'll be in and, and gone. And I was like, okay, cool. So as I was leaving to walk out the back of the brothel and go back in the back door, I'm sitting there thinking, I was just on national news like 15 minutes ago. And how funny would it be as if they're like, Oh, we decided to follow you to work. And, and I'm like, I'm this dad looking after his kids, um, primary care, blah, blah, blah. And, Oh, and he just goes and he's in a brothel like on Saturday morning, like 15 minutes later. And I was just sitting there thinking how funny it would be if the camera crews followed me. That, so that, that there's a little, little, uh, interesting story. I love it. <laughs> That's a ripper. I can't wait to see whether that's one of those ones that you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go, you know what, Dave, let's no, end it. No, 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 no. You don't need to delete that. I've told that story heaps of times. It probably took me about 20 minutes longer to tell it, though. So. <laughs> Mate, we've, we've heard what you've said about uh, running out of time. You've been super generous. Kelly, your initial question, let's get that one on and um, then we're going to let you go. And the rest of us are going to sit around in the Zoom room and drink the Elsie, which is just one of my all-time favourite Australian beers. But, Kel, far away with your question. You've just done a rebranding. This is more a question for your graphic designer, but he isn't here. But you obviously had some discussions. Uh, it's well known that he does labels for other beers. Mm-hmm. So what did you, uh, what did you, how did you work together to make sure that your labels look unique and don't just look like co-conspirators cans or I think you did one for Bright as well. So it's a great question. I had exactly this conversation with our mate Steve Jamal. To make sure his style is still there, but it's also the batch style. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I haven't um, 
I, I like I kind of keep my head down, bum up sometimes with some of this stuff, and don't and don't really compare it to anybody else. But we we've worked with I've been working with Clint for a couple of years, so like he's done some set. We we have this thing called Sourfest that we do every year. We brew um ten sour beers, and we've done some posters for it. And he's he's done the posters for the past few years, and I and I'm like, man, I really love this artwork. This is great. Um, and um, so I've always really liked what he what he's done. Um, and so when my team suggested that we use him for the rebrand, um, I just thought it was a great idea. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I you do have to be careful. I mean, you don't want to end up having brands that look so similar to each other. And I hope, I hope that's not the case, but I trust Clint, um, that he's, you know, he knows, he kind of knows the style of what we're after and tries to keep those things separate. And I've seen the briefs that we've given him and the stuff that they've come back with for stuff that's non for this NPD stuff I was talking about. And it's really, it's pretty unique. Like, like I, like I look at it, I'm like, that's some of it. They're just like nailing. I'm like, that's it. And, and we've compared it to some of the other, our other market stuff. And they're not like, there might be similarities because we briefed it purposefully for that. Like, but there's nothing that looks exactly like everything else. I don't know. I, I hopefully I'm answering your question. You, you've answered not just that question, brother. You've answered all of the questions we've had tonight. Uh, we are so grateful for your time. This has been one of my favourite nights we've had on in ages because we've had so many good guests. Uh, Andrew, thank you for your time. Can you give us very quickly the batch socials so that we can make sure that everyone around the world can figure out how to stay in touch with all the news from the venues? That's a great question. Uh... Type in batch brewing into Google. Yeah, I think we're Instagram Batch Brewing Co. I don't, if you if, it, if you look up Batch Brewing Co., it should come up. Just make sure it's not the one in Detroit. That's the main one. That's the main. Yeah, thing. there are two. That's what, that's why what I thought. Mick, yeah. is there a second hypocrisy out there that I need to worry about? Tag? Hypocrisy. We keep on doing it, David. Hypocrisy. Um, actually, there is. There's a another contract brewery in New South Wales who make a beer each year called Hypocrisy. Um, but I have the registered trademark. They've got the name hypocrisy that they can use for their limited edition beer, and we coexist happily. Very good. Mr. Warren Wu, is there a second Fiery the Cat that we should be following on Instagram? Uh, no, no. Where is that stupid? Yeah. He's costing me $1,200 in dental fees. I wasn't trying to bring that up. We've got to to wrap this up. Yeah, we do. Everyone who's online. Guys, that was amazing. (laughs) And let's turn off the recording and let's sip on some Elsie. Andrew, Mick, I hope you can stick around, but totally understand if not. Thank you for an awesome night here in the Cool Room Zoom Room. Thank you very much. Thank you.